When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone and welcome to the LFC Day Trippers. Um, this is a little bit of a special show um, because since Liverpool uh, in November it was revealed that Liverpool may be up for sale or a partial sale. Um, it's been a whirlwind a couple of months um, around the club. Um, a fall in performance has only added fuel to that fire with regards to FSG. Um, the possible sale of the club, a minority stake, whatever it might be, where them bids may come from. And... You know, we've done plenty of shows over the last weeks and months um, with regards to Liverpool, the ownership. Do you like them? Do you not like them? Whatever it might be. So, But I've seen a very interesting article the other day and I brought this, the, the writer of this article on this evening to speak about it um, and go through it as to where Liverpool stand, where John Henry stands and where possible links to Qatar, Asia, America, whatever it might be with regards to making a bid for Liverpool. Um that guest is Dave Powell. He's the business of football writer at The Echo. He covers Liverpool and Everton. And he's a Chester fan. And he also um, hosts the Bottom Line Pod. So, Dave, first of all, you're very, very welcome. Um, being a Chester fan, it means you have no real skin in this game, which I'm delighted with. But um, how are you, first of all? Really good, thanks, Gav. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Um, yeah, always always happy to chat anything numbers, uh, Liverpool um, but yeah, like like you say, I, being someone who spends his um, spends his Saturday afternoons sat in the freezing cold watching Division Six football, um, I have no I have no skin in this game. I am a uh, I am a, an observer and uh, someone and a scribe who is uh, merely reporting what he sees. Yeah, um, let's go back to November. It's early November. Um, the story breaks. And the way the story breaks is that Liverpool are for sale. That's the big headline. Liverpool are for sale. And, you know, it comes off the back of some quotes um, to say that Liverpool... I think it was all around Liverpool watching ownership change for various clubs in the Premier League. And it was just around the time Chelsea had was being sorted out and stuff like that. And the quote basically said that Liverpool are always looking for opportunities and whatever it might be. And it was taken that Liverpool were for sale. Now in following weeks, as you as you say in your in your um in your piece, you know, um Tom Werner kind of makes makes a statement that Liverpool would be open to a full sale and, and um it was a an FSG partner as well. Makes makes similar comments. Um, his name slips my mind. I'm being honest. But Sam Kennedy. Sam Kennedy, correct. And you know that added fuel fuel to this fire. But what did you just going back to November when you seen this? Was it a surprise to you? You know because Liverpool it, have gone from three hundred million in two thousand ten to talk to four billion now. It it was. I mean, it was the. Um, it, it was only about a week and a half, two weeks before that. I was in. Um, I went to the US. Um, to to cover a, a sports investment conference in in New York, and it was the second time I'd been out to the US with to to do a, a few kind of Liverpool related bits in the space of six months. Um, it's always been kind of accepted that they um, FSG would would be open to 
like any any business, they're open to offers at the the right price. I mean, John Henry made his billions as a commodities trader, uh, which is buy cheap, sell high. So I suppose you can. It's one of those things. You think how how high is it, um, or how high do they think it can go? But um, yeah, I think um, that there's been a, there's a few factors that that kind of do. Once I sat down and thought about it, that the Chelsea sale, although that was kind of expedited over a, a short period of time, and obviously the reasons for that were the fact that. Roman Abramovich was the owner of the football club. He was sanctioned and money was running out. Um, so they needed to get that done fast. Um, but what it did for the first time um, was bring a, a major uh, top six club, um, not as big as Liverpool, United, um, to the table and actually test the water with kind of US investors and everyone. And in that bidding war, it kind of revealed, it pulled back the curtain a little bit and revealed where the value of these football teams, because for so long we've talked about valuations, how much are they worth? But there's there's been an element of um, it's, it's kind of been guesswork on that. I mean, it's um, I think I did an article must be must be a month and a half ago, um, and I think I looked at cumulative um, ownership level, kind of, of 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 Premier League clubs, and I think before Todd Burley arrived and before Stan Kroenke's um, kind of accreted his minority stake into a full full share at Arsenal. He was approaching something like a hundred years of ownership um, of the same kind of group of individuals of Premier League clubs, um, and that kind of shows you that there was you know there was no one to come to the table to to kind of to show their hand. But now the Chelsea sale two and a half billion that were, uh, went for that was a sale price. Obviously, there's a, there's a commitment to invest. I think it was one point seven five billion in infrastructure over a period of time. But that that showed to the appetite for American investors, particularly who were heavily involved in that bidding process, to come to the fore, and it showed where the money might lie. So, but that was one reason. But there was also the um, I think FSG and John Henry in particular have been able to unable to bring about maybe the the structural change um, or reforms that they would have liked to have seen to, to truly kind of build um Liverpool as a as an asset and I mean they, they tried um project big picture um failed uh on, in that respect and that was the one they, they were really I think pig sick about was was project big picture because um they felt it was a workable model um Around you know, kind of giving the AFL more money um, in in return of freeing updates in the calendar, kind of by not playing in the Carabao Cup, etc., which would have allowed them to go overseas and yeah. monetize the the brand a bit more. The Super League, um, while obviously there were agitators for it, I think that was for the most part, and I, I still believe that for the clubs who weren't the clubs who stayed with it, so Real Madrid, Juventus, Barcelona. I think that was we are too scared to not be part of this in case it goes ahead because we will be left so far behind. And I think that was the motivation for that. So I think Project Big Picture was probably the one which stuck in the craw of, of John Henry a bit more than the, the Super League did. Um, but all those put those things into the mix, and the, especially Chelsea. And I think John Henry's thought, well, um, it maybe it's time to test the water with with a full sale because it's all they've been open to investment for it for a while. Um, but there's been no urgency around it. But by testing the water with a full sale, I suppose it, it, it brings out, um, you get to see just where the interest lies in the market. Um, another reason is that I do think that while 
my understanding is that John Henry is, is someone that has a preference for staying uh, for a longer term at Liverpool. How long, I don't know, but I don't think it's his preference to sell at the moment. That's what I've been told by people I trust. Um, but there may I mean there's 30 odd partners in FSG, um, all of whom own differing levels of stakes. Um, but um, from what I can gather, there's probably a few who might be looking at it thinking a smaller minority stakeholders here, and we're not talking big ones. Um, we think, do you know what? The asset value is quite high of this now. Um, I wouldn't mind kind of realizing some of that cash, especially if they've been along for the ride from 300 million to 3.567 billion, whatever it is now. Um, but even if those are percentages of two, three, four, five, six, if you've got four or five partners who might be thinking the same, all of a sudden you've got 15 to 20% that you could sell of a business. And all of a sudden, that releases some the chance to to kind of realise some capital, and then they start thinking about um, there is a potential of reinvesting that into the into the football team, which they need to be successful to to leverage um, and to to make more financially successful. So, so there's a few with all those different factors. I think it kind of makes sense, but um, it did catch me on the hop a little bit because it, <laughs> I had no rumblings prior, so it was um, it was all uh, it was all quiet on the Western Front until it. Uh, until it all kicked off. Yeah, when you speak about being in 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 the US, and it, and it also says in the article that um, spending some time with deal makers over there, the impressions over there was that there had been no bids for Liverpool Football Club, um, and Liverpool will be open to a strategic partner. Now, the thing with a strategic partner is is that if if FSG were to sell twenty percent of Liverpool tomorrow, and let's to make it easy, let's value Liverpool at four million four billion dollars okay or pounds whatever way um so you're looking at 20 percent as 800 million euros or pounds or dollars whatever it might be a a lot of fans out there feel that that's not the way to go unless it was you get 20 percent now then you get the chance to move that to 40 60 80 over a, a specified period of time and in the end fsg own a minority stake in liverpool or own none at all but the worry among Liverpool fans is, is that if if you do sell for eight hundred million, okay, like you said, there's partners within FSG who own five percent, and they want to realise their asset. So the the presumption that this eight hundred million would be ploughed back into Liverpool Football Club for players, midfielders being the the hot topic at the moment, is that a little bit of a stretch? Because I can't see FSG giving away. X amount of Liverpool to put it all back into Liverpool and the people that owned it don't own it anymore. You know, they, they, what they owned is now reduced and it's all gone back into the club. Are they willing to take that risk to see Liverpool be worth more in, in five years' time and get that money back? Because it doesn't work like that, does it? No, I think the notion of... Um, it's that like we had it with the, the, the Redbird investment when that was quite clear from the outset that it was... It was an investment in FSG for infrastructure, and that namely was expansion. So they bought the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, and they've got other they've got real estate developments happening in Boston. They've got something called Fenway Corners, which is taking place all around Fenway Park, and that's mm-hmm. going to be a huge development. Um, and you're talking well, billions there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's a huge outlay, um, but they also um, there is a realization that they do have to invest in. The, I mean, if it was you know, say say for argument's sake, you know they you free up 800 million pounds worth of capital um or that that comes into the business 
there is um, you know, they're not going to redeploy that just on players because it's um, it's kind of false economy. I mean, but what they will do is they'll try and uh, they will they know that they'll have to invest it in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's that some of that will be through players, but it'll also be there has to be a kind of a value proposition to it. So um, further on down the line, you know, that's the way they've always worked, and, and there's nothing to say. You know, there's nothing to suggest they deviate from that now. Um, but there would, there is a need. I mean, it's been a. I mean, for it's been longevity about this Liverpool team, hasn't there? I mean, it's been six, seven years where largely it's the same group of players, give or take. You know, the odd parts here and there. Um, but uh, I know there's the the idea around. Uh, you know, I, I'm no FSG acolyte. I can understand why supporters want to spend. You know, because ultimately. Um, you know, supporters care about what's on the pitch. They don't particularly want to get bogged down in the mire of um, uh, ownership and who's doing doing this, that, and the other. They just want the team to be competitive and win trophies. Um, but I, I think that there is the value that Liverpool have seen, the rise in value that they've seen from 2010 to, 20, to 2023. Um, a lot of that's been driven by the fact that they've been successful on the pitch. Um, now, United had that long period of... Um, the late 90s and then in 2000s they were the first club to really harness kind of the more globalised nature of football so you've got new markets you've got new you've got money uh, and access to new technologies and they were really in, you know they, they were doing tours before people and they were they were really good at com- like uh, commercialising that whole arm of the football club and they were successful through that period continually so they built that brand now Liverpool of are you know they're an absolute titan of kind of you know the English game. They are globally kind of renowned football club, um, but the success hasn't been you know the recent success has been fantastic. But in terms of a longer term, and if you're looking at kind of a, the reaching touch points all around the world, um, there is still that need for them to carry on being successful yeah. um, to a to a. a a strong degree in in the medium to long term future, if they're going to carry on making sure that all these millions of fans that they've kind of grown over the uh, around the globe continue to see Liverpool as kind of where they play it, you know, pledge their allegiances. And once you you know once you found a team, that's it. You you are you're a, you're a customer for life, aren't you? Yeah, and it's um, yeah. and and especially in markets like um, India, so population of one and a half billion. Um, this, now there's increased digitalization. There's, um, you know, economy is booming there. It's it's burgeoning and and it's kind of it's a, it's been an emerging market for a long time. But it's one of those places where football club owners think they can tap into more revenue. Then you've got the US, which has come onto football now. Like I've, you know, the the, re- the the past five six years has really seen kind of um, US interest um, in football. Uh, kind of take take flight i mean i think in the us i think Liga mx is the most watched much watched league in, in the us and that's because of there's a large kind of latin and hispanic um population or demographic in the us then it's the premier league um then it's the mls and everything else is way behind you know mm. um so there's that then you've got the world cup coming in 2026 in in the US, so all the interest is going to build up to this. So they want to be successful. They want they they need Liverpool to be successful. So, so I think the idea of them not really caring whether they win or lose is is a flawed argument. Um, they need them to be successful, but obviously they also need to run the football club in from their in their eyes like a, 
the business. Um, and those two things aren't always, you know, and happy bedfellows. And that's what probably, you know, splits a fan base to a certain extent because, you know, when you look back at, and recently Liverpool have come out with over 700 million in revenue for 2022, which is, and it's the first time in I don't know how many years they've, they've topped Manchester United. And, you know, they're touring the world at the moment and many would make arguments that they're second in the world because a lot of people have issues with Man City and how they finance things. But that's where they're going to split people because they're looking going, we're making all this money, are we spending it? But FSG, and I've said it loads of time on their show, they spend what they make. You know, they don't. that's their model and it has been since day one and they were very open about that being the model. And um, my whole thing around it is that your model is as business as a business it's it's phenomenal there's there's no like if you take football out of it for a minute if you open the business tomorrow and it was making 30,000 this year and in 10 years time it's making 10 times that but you haven't gone above budget in any way that's a phenomenal business you yeah. know you're probably being headhunted everywhere to go and help other businesses but we're in the world of football and the world of football at the moment is is that money 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 and the regulations aren't correct um, in my opinion um, the governing bodies don't look after it um, because again it's all about money and that model that FSG have is perfectly sound but in order to keep up with football and the way it's going and probably killing itself from the inside out you have to have more money now FSG do not have form for investing their own money What, but, but what they do have form for is getting money in from different areas and they're brilliant at it but right now getting another sponsorship deal won't cut it so you need somebody to come in and say okay 800 million we're going to put 250 of that back into the club to keep the asset there where it needs to be and build the six the 550 or the 600 or whatever goes back to dividends to people and they make their, their asset but we still hold the percentage here and if that asset and a strategic partner which if they've been open to and we see it in your article if that strategic partner comes in, it means that you've two sets of eyes on it, and you know two. And sometimes it can go bad where one clashes with the other. But if there's a plan in place and a strategy in place where that person coming in at twenty percent in five years' time owns seventy percent of the club, their interest is always in being successful on the pitch. You know, and all right, FSG's interest has to be to be successful on the pitch, like you said, because they want to realise their asset at the back end. You know when when those percentages of ownership drop for them, it's and it's just the way football is going. You know, and when when we move on to when we look on to potential buyers or bidders or whatever it might be, you know, as you said in your article, no bidders so far. But I'm sure people have looked at it. You know, possible due diligence on on certain things. But let's start with Qatar, because Qatar. Although it is the most recent one to come out. And people have, again, you're going down the route of what's similar with the World Cup, human rights issues, Liverpool Football Club being potentially owned by a state. Some people are okay with that because they see what's going on with football. Some people aren't, um, myself included, because I just don't think Liverpool should be state-owned for the reason being it's Liverpool Football Club. It's not a club that needs to tolerate being state-owned for relevance. That's my main thing on it. But Qatar itself, you know, do you think there's serious interest from there? Do you think... And if, if Qataris come in, um, 
wanting 20% or for, or would he come in wanting 20 or 40% or would he want to come in and want the whole business? Well, Qatar is an interesting one. I mean, um, off, off the bat, I mean, I know there was a lot of social media um, noise um, been called a few choice things over the past <laughs> past couple of weeks. Um, but That's what from, happens, Dave, when you post about yeah, Liverpool. Yeah, but um, from people, uh, there was there was, when I used to cover Chester, there was <laughs> I knew everyone by name and they were so nice. Um, but <laughs> um, but um, it, it's um, from what so immediately from what I was told, and I've, I've kept in contact with a couple, you know, a few people that um, have kind of intimate knowledge of of, of what's going on, um, and it's not as, as some people might think, it's not a call to the press press office or the PR department and said, is there any interest? No, okay, I'll go back. It, it's um, it's you know, it, it involved a lot more legwork and um, and, and building trust and, and of people than that to, to kind of get information. And the line has been, and I think it's it's kind of bearing itself out in the fact that there hasn't been any major developments. I know um, James in the Athletic wrote to the same effect of what we've been saying about nothing's really changed since November. Um, I wrote that um, I was told that there'd been no real interest. And when I say real interest, the real should really be in italics. There's been no real interest, as in there'd be interested parties looking at it from afar, thinking, um, can we have an information, you know, or requesting more information um, gives them the chance to do some due diligence about how how it might work. But in terms of high-level talks, which have been accelerate, you know, anything which has been presented to to kind of Goldman Sachs and, and, um, and Morgan Stanley and then uh, kicked over to Mike Gordon to consider and then taken up to to be kind of have a powwow about um, in Boston at FSG Towers. It's um, it's just not happened yet. It's there's nothing serious to consider. And FSG um, throughout December, the the focus largely was um, high level was in trying to fight fires in Boston. And I think I think they're quite surprised by how um, people expect things to happen after kind of what they said in November. I mean, these things. There's no rush whatsoever for them to get anything done it's a um it, it, it is explorative um, it's, it's part of this down to the fact that john henry might not want to sell at all he's not too sure himself and then other stakeholders in fsg not split but you'll have some over here saying yeah kind of quite I'm, I'm okay where i am but I, I might look at it so there's an awful lot of different views within fsg before anybody yeah. outside can come in and ask a question i mean i was told um Kind of John Henry was his preference was was to remain, and I know um, I know for a fact there's a couple of um, of partners who um, who wouldn't particularly be you know be pushing for any kind of sale uh, um, as it stands. But it, ultimately, John Henry is the man that um, holds you know, wields the power. But he's also a very savvy businessman who has a lot of. This isn't just Liverpool, you know. Obviously, the Liverpool is a club that they're looking at selling, but um, he is. Long-time business partners and most of these people within FSG, they have a lot more business interest as well. Um, so it, it, it's kind of it will involve a they'll come to a, a consensus and a, a and a decision which is best. But they are in growth mode. FSG they say that they are still in growth mode. But touching back to the to the Qatar point, um, they there will be um, I mean the QIA. So that's the sovereign wealth fund of, of Qatar. Um, We've just had a World Cup in Qatar, I mean, and for all that, um, you know, it was uh, there was so much controversy which surrounded it. Um, but in terms of the spectacle of the actual World Cup itself, I mean, I think they they by the end of it, I think they will they were 
be pretty pleased with how it panned out. You know, um, they got all the um, they got the headlines that they, they wanted. They would have wanted from it. I think. I mean, you've got that that World Cup final. Yeah. It was one for the ages, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, so things like that. Um, but it also provides them with the the perfect kind of stepping off point into twenty twenty three to to kind of press ahead with with kind of further investment into football. And it's not just um, I know we we throw the the term around sports washing a lot. It, I mean, there is an element of reputation laundering with these things. There is, I mean, because you want you know that you want the the world to have a greater a viewpoint, um, and achieving that through sport is is um, is a surefire way. Well, not a, a fairly um, a fairly good way to do that, but there is also a lot more. I mean, nothing is done kind of uh, in the MENA region with, with kind of sovereign wealth funds unless it's for the betterment of um, the country itself. So you look at Man City, and everyone thought that was purely about you know Abu Dhabi, this that, and the other. But a lot of it was around um, diversifying revenue because you look at Qatar; they're so dependent on oil and gas. Um, they want to try and diversify revenues, and Liverpool's a, it's just got free freeport status, so that uh, makes it more attractive to um, to kind of international investment uh, and kind of Qatar, the Saudis, um, uh, the UAE. They're all been pursuing quite aggressive port strategies um, to open themselves up to trade to, to to kind of the world. So all these things make sense, you know. And and, in, and for Man City, it was the one of the key things is property. So there was so much kind of real estate in Manchester, which was bought up during that time, and that helped diversify revenue streams for kind of Abu Dhabi. So um, all these things come together in a kind of a big melting pot. Um, I think for QIA, so they will. Um, I mean, their CEO said uh, at the World Economic Forum last week that uh, there was the intention for them to to look towards sports investment. He said they hadn't made their mind up where yet, but. He said, you know, for for reasons we've just we've talked about before about increased digitization of of um, of sport and and more commercial opportunities, all those things. He said, don't be surprised to see us invest in this space, but there's been no high level talks have taken place yet. But I dare say that they will try and test the waters. Whether it's with Liverpool um, remains to be seen. There'll be someone over the next month or two who will um, make solid proposals. Um, no idea who that'll be yet. Um, it's just purely speculative at the moment, but you know, Qatar will have a number. You know, they'll be looking at all those kind of options, whether it's Liverpool. I mean, United are on the block. Uh, Tottenham have got Joe Lewis has got a willingness to to sell his stake. So there's all these different um, kind of teams in play um, at present, and it it's kind of a, a marketplace that we've never ever really seen before. Um, but I don't. I, I mean, this is just a, a personal. Viewpoint. There's nothing to, I've not, you know, there's nothing to suggest that this is kind of um, John Henry's viewpoint. But I think John Henry is someone who um, FSG are kind of the outliers now, aren't they, in terms of how they operate the football club? And you made that, you made the spot on comment before around how football is eating itself. You know, we spend more and more and more and more money. Yeah. Um, I mean, Todd Burley's come and Clear Lake have come in at Chelsea. Um, they're spending so much money, but that there is a a strategy behind that, which is required UEFA to be reactive and say, actually, you can't be offering people ten-year contracts. Yeah. Um, so, but I think um, John Henry probably looks at kind of the arrival of um, sovereign wealth funds um, and nation states and thinks this is skewing where we're at. Um, you know, this is skewing our business. 
rate because we simply can't, you know, the, it, we can't compete with it. So Manchester City have been the thorn in, you know, Liverpool and Man City have been the two teams jousting for the past four or five years, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that was um, City Football Group and Sheikh Mansour took over before FFP really uh, dug its heels in in 2011-12. So they were allowed to accelerate to a point where it was adding after that they could add. I mean, and you look now, they, their net spend, I think, is lower than Liverpool's um, for the past couple of years. And um, <clears throat> that's because they reached a point where the whole thing works seamlessly, you know, so... I wouldn't. I do question whether it would be, you know, they'd be comfortable bedfellows, FSG, and, and kind of a, a sovereign wealth fund. I just doesn't. Do you think the, we, outside of FSG, do you think a, a sovereign wealth fund coming in, where no matter no matter where it's from, whether that's Qatar or Norway or wherever, mm. you know, or if you know Joe Biden decided that America should own Liverpool Football Club. Do you think that those potential investors from these countries, as a sovereign, you know, as a, as as a country, more or less, buying a football club, do you think they take a fan base into consideration? Where they go, I don't know if that'll roll. I don't know if that'll wash with with this fan base because, you know, does every Liverpool fan wants Liverpool to spend more money? Every Liverpool fan wants them to get some midfielders. When we go back to the basics here, you know, every Liverpool fan wants them to compete. You know, and then there's then there's different degrees of how far you're willing to go in order to compete. You know, I said it on this show, so I'm not I'm not telling any secrets. I feel it's it's I feel it's mad. It's completely insane that the football world seems to be pulling itself into line with four clubs on this planet, um, instead of the four clubs being pulled back into line with the rest of the world. You know, with regards to finances and how do you get them and, and whatever else. But do you think that if it was Qatar or it was someone in Asia or wherever it might be, as a country, as a state buying, trying to buy Liverpool Football Club, that they, they might fear some backlash from, from a fan base? Potentially, yeah. Um, it's hard to know. I mean, the, what the, the trend seems to have been um, when these investments have been made previously. I mean, Newcastle was a... Um, we say distressed asset. It wasn't. I mean, it was, if anything, financially as a business, it was run pretty well yeah. by, by Mike Ashley. I mean, competitively, it was an absolute um, disaster. A disaster for him, yeah. But um, but as a business, I think him he left it in a, a pretty solid place for them to go and spend money, um, which obviously Liverpool would be in a, you know, if someone comes in and purchases Liverpool now, they're in a fantastic place. I mean, they've got no FFP worries whatsoever. Although they've got, you know, considerable wage bill, etc. But, um, but I, I, I don't. It's a difficult one to answer. I, mean, I do think they they would take into account um, local feeling, but also they they would be looking at the the longer game and and, and whether or not it was um, offered to kind of let's say to the betterment of of the nation itself through um, other means, whether it's to you know increasing trade links or, or I mean you look at Newcastle. Um, so the PIF, so the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, um, they concluded a major investment deal into kind of energy plants in, in the northeast um, around the time of that, you know, that, that PIF deal for Newcastle. So there's always, you know, there's, there is yeah. kind of these relays. But that's just, you know, that's there's nothing kind of wrong with that, that these are strategic investments. But when um, I was told about strategic partners, it was more... Um, people coming in who 
offer a particular skill set um, and are very uh, they are at the forefront of their field. Like if you could, I mean, in America, I was taken aback by how FSG are viewed as the best in class by other investors. So other institutional investors in the US, they were waxing lyrical about how FSG work. This is, you know, and among those was Bedadik Bali, who is um, uh, the co-owner of Chelsea. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure how the the two spending patterns align um, at the moment, but um, but they the strategic partner could be someone who kind of business builders. So when FSG sold 11% to Redbird, they went with Redbird because um, Jerry Cardinal and Redbird are business builders. That's what they do. They put capital in, they stay there for a while, but they also, they're not passive investors who just, they'll put the money in and just wait for the value, the asset to, to rise in value and then take the money out. Um, they play a part in providing expertise to grow these businesses, which is what they will try and do with AC Milan. So they've they bought AC Milan there and they're, they want a new stadium. They're trying to close that gap between the Premier League and, and Serie A, etc. Um, Liverpool will want, and or FSG, sorry, will want someone who brings something to the table, heading towards a time when I mean we've got this broadcast deal um, for the Premier League, which is a bumper one um, at present. But there's going to come a time where we live in the age of streaming, where clubs want more say over their content. They want to have more. They want to become rights holders, and being a rights yeah, holder is the stream their own content. Yeah, valuable thing that you can have um, in 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 kind of certainly in the kind of sports um, sports arena. So um, they want someone. So when it all arrives, you know, when when kind of we, the, the traditional that we've known, and it will break down eventually, and and it'll be sent off in different directions. I mean, we won't always be. Paying for subscriptions upon subscriptions or upon subscriptions to satellite TV, and they'll have to find a way to pivot and move. And there will be more opportunities for clubs like Liverpool, especially clubs like Liverpool, because they've got a global fan base of hundreds of millions to monetize their own content, and that will be huge. And if they can have someone that can help them leverage their position, find new places in the market, that will be of huge value to them, uh, and it'll be a value proposition that you know some some clubs just can't stay with. But you, you spot them, you say that. We are effectively it's four, five, six clubs who are dictating um, the trajectory of of European football. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a as we said at the top. I'm a Chester fan, so um, people always ask, "What? Who's your other team?" I don't have one. It's I'm a Chester fan. I'm from Chester. And that's kind of it. But we are. I, I come from the. Um, I mean, it went bust in 2010, Chester did. Uh, we reformed as a fan-owned club and we're still a fan-owned club, you know, so we spend literally what we earn. We don't have a credit facility. We can't even have a club credit card because it involves taking us on taking on debt. So um, my my viewpoint on European football is it, it is it will eventually try and get reach a point where it will eat itself and something you know i think it uh, I, I think it definitely is i think i think the whole new ffp coming in in 2025 is a mark a huge marker because we they've been told about this really early and it's it's basically letting clubs put their ducks in a row in order to put finances in there whatever way they feel like it in order to justify themselves in 2025 and you can you're starting to see that happen already um before we go on the pitch, Liverpool haven't been good this season. Um, you know, no concern to you as a Chester fan, but <clears throat> you know, there's on air shows there's been loads of loads of debate and 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 discussion around, you know, Liverpool kind of sleepwalking themselves into this situation where, you know, 
you've all the faith in Jurgen Klopp to, to get this right and we've seen it in, in um, 2021 when he had a load of injuries he still got top four and, and he went on from there uh, you know and there's, there's loads of faith there but it's 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 not injuries this time although it is some injuries but it's it's legs it's 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 mileage in, in, in some players and you know the FSG model would tell you that it's going to be really difficult to reshape a midfield of probably three or four out and three or four in on that model and that sustainable model how much do you do you think the on-field stuff has affected where fsg look because i know they want to stay competitive but have they looked do you think they may have looked at and went we actually you know what throughout the club we've made the wrong decisions here and this is going to be bigger to fix than we thought so instead of us being the smartest man in the room or the smartest team in the room that won't be enough right now. We are going to need investment to protect this asset and move it on. Do you think the on-field stuff and maybe the lack of decisiveness over the last couple of seasons, within midfield in particular, has had any bearing on them looking outside to, to get some help with this? I think so. I think um, COVID impacted Liverpool quite significantly because um, it... I think they would have been more... If in normal circumstances, I think they would have been more emboldened to spend... Um, I mean, it's, it's quite obvious. I mean, they've missed at least three transfer windows, haven't they? To it, the idea is to add as you go along, mm-hmm. so you don't ever need this expensive rebuild that comes mm-hmm. all along at once. Um, but I think they, I think COVID made them very nervous, and especially when you're spinning plates with. And I know the, they're all financially independent, etc. But when you're spinning plates with the same problem in the US with the Boston Red Sox or whatever, and didn't have the Pittsburgh Penguins at the time, but um, it was. I think it made them slightly nervous of spend, um, which meant that they were more reluctant in the transfer market. But, um, but that's you know that's that's wishy washy excuses really. I mean, everyone else kind of was in that same boat. Mm. Um, but I think it came at a time when Liverpool really they missed opportunities um, to add to the squad. But I think that there is an element of, of that um, that they realised this is probably going to be an expensive one. I mean, player values have only gone only increased. It's, it's scandalous. The problem is, is there is an element of of lifo involved in this. So it's um, so the the tone of the last deal sets certainly in the kind of valuation of football clubs it always has tone of the last deal sets the kind of the price of the next. But for foot so the likes of Chelsea coming in, um, paying big money for players again, and it but it, it raises the bar for players who. So I mean, if we look back, I don't know five, six, seven years ago. Someone like of, of kind of Moses Caicedo's profile at Brighton wouldn't be pushing 85, 90 million pounds to, to take 50 million four weeks ago. You know, so it's, it, and I think they're finding that harder and harder to, to compete with. But there comes a point where um, everyone just can't, you know, spend Chelsea, they, they are, they will, they will max out their credit card very shortly. And the problem they have is this is a long game. So the, this is their squad now for. They're thinking this is this is what's going to take them forward, which is you know it's a fair bet it might, but um, Liverpool will have to spend. You know, I don't want to get into the whole Jude Bellingham thing because it's a very tiresome, um, yeah, <laughs> kind of a thread that we can get onto there. I mean, if he comes, he could, but great. But someone like, but even you know Bellingham, it's hard to see him arriving for less than a hundred million, and that's just, but that's just to throw a name out there. But they need another two, three options. And then what about the usual addition of um, backup options elsewhere? Um, you're looking at two, two fifty million. I mean, so that 
to come out of uh, a season where there is you know potentially no no Champions League football, and that by the way won't uh, missing out on one season of Champions League football, which is a distinct possibility at the moment, won't knock them out of stride completely and make them rip up the fabric of it because they know the following year they need to be in the mix for the Champions League even more. So, and I dare say they'll have some contracts with commercial partners, etc., that um, now hinge on them being part of the Champions League. I mean, United have had it in the past yep. where. I think if they had three years out of the Champions League, values of things start to diminish. So there is a need for them to be in that conversation. So they can't skimp and say, well, you know, give Stephen Colker a ring again and um, come come to our aid. Um, it will have, they will have to invest to, to be top four following season. But um, it, it is going to be an expensive time for them. But the same problems they're having in Liverpool, they've been having in Boston. So... Um, the whole baseball players are expensive line that John John Henry threw out the other week. Um, while it played terribly to the crowd, and there's a reason why John Henry doesn't speak publicly very often, it's because usually he um, he's so brutally honest about, about his own thoughts and feelings over stuff. Um, it usually involves the PR department having to um, clean it up afterwards. massage yeah. a lot of relationships and clean up some mess. Um, but the... So they they just paid three hundred and thirty one million dollars over eleven years to um, a guy called Rafi Davis, um, and that was seen as them having to get that deal done. But then they were um, absolutely admonished for um, uh, they were hammered, sorry, for uh, not doing a deal for for a guy called Xander Bogut for a similar sum. Um, who, who, if he would have signed his contract, would have taken into kind of forty two. So I think they they are struggling. So. We have, you know, we've got not so much City at the moment because City did their spending. You know, they are now at they add. That's what they do really well, and and kind of the the way they add is is clever now because they have the multi club model. They see a lot of the South Americans. You know, look at Julio uh, Julio Alvarez, etc. So, but um, in, in baseball, there is the New York Mets spending um, ridiculous amounts of money under Steve Cohen this kind of um, this winter, and that has created. Again, the same kind of imbalance that yeah, exists. With another it. issue in Boston. So it's yeah. it's continu- continually playing catch up, and I know um, that's something which will be in the play playing on their minds. So I think in realizing, you know, selling a, an equity share in, in Liverpool um, means that they can a address maybe that big outlay that they need this summer, um, and it doesn't put such a strain on. Um, on cash flow and the balance sheet, but also they will be there will be dividends. Who so if some people are checking out, some partners are checking out, um, that will be paid. But also they will um, be conscious of the fact that the business is still in growth mode. And I know people talk about the NBA, oh they're selling Liverpool because um, they want money for the NBA. I mean that's not strictly true. I mean the NBA um, franchise they want in Las Vegas is something nailed on that they want. But there's so many. Uh, hurdles to clear that they have no part in so there has to be a bargaining agreement agreed with the NBA for players there has to be a new media deal agreed they have to get 30 team owners to agree to a price to sell these to you know what these teams are going to be valued at and then they have to decide the markets for them then they have to go to a bidding process of who owns these teams so while that's on their horizon it's going to be two two and a half years for even the the wheels you know start to move on that type of thing and LeBron James will helmet etc <laughs> Um, but he's still playing, wants to play with his son. So all these things there is, and then it was like, oh, NFL team, they're going to buy. It's like, well, 
they can't because they have several partners who are institutional investors or private equity. Yeah, That's I not allowed in the that. NFL. Yeah. So, so there's there's no um, real pressing need for them to to kind of um, alight. Cash uh, in LFC and Mill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is there is no there is a need. Uh, I think in the short shorter term to aid Liverpool's cause for them to do it, and also to for protect them to, our asset. Yeah, absolutely. And while giving and some they, of it away, it's still protecting them in the long run. It is, and, and they are banking on the same thing that you know. You look at the amount. There's, there is, there are billions and billions of dollars worth of um, of capital ready to be deployed in in European sport at the moment. There's so many fo- sports funds which are being set up um, to to go after that, and they are banking on valuations continuing to rise for the next few years. They have slowed. I mean, I think the valuation rise from 2010 to now is. 900 odd percent for Liverpool, which is crazy. If you were to put money into some kind of business like that, and if you yeah, really saw that, that film, it's, it's earlier, unbelievable. Yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. But it will continue to rise um, at a slower rate and eventually plateau, but it's still continuing to rise and there's still opportunity, this kind of latent value that can be released. Um, and that Super League is going to come back at some stage on the road. There'll be some, uh, some way, shape or form, or whether it's an expand the expanded Club World Cup or whether it's having more time in the calendar to go abroad, play exhibition matches that you can greater monetize, and that only really works if you are Liverpool, Manchester United, etc. Yeah. Um, but there is, they will carry on rising. So for them, FSG to leave now leaves money on the table, and they would. The the notion is, well, it's become untenable for them. I don't think it has. I mean, it's a. Uh, it's very easy. We we always fall into the trap of thinking that that social media is kind of reflective of, of real life, and it's not. Um, I'm sure there are a vast majority of Liverpool fans want FSG to spend more money. They want to see them, but have a greater investment in the team. Who wouldn't? Um, but there's also, you know, there's a lot more kind of critical thinking and a more nuanced debate to be had around uh, around ownership. Um, so, um, I, I don't think that they are. They feel that level of hostility, like it, like it's it's not. A, I saw someone make the make the case it was they're worse than Hicks and Gillette, and I thought that's just errant nonsense, isn't it? So yeah. It's uh, the the two things are completely different, um, and and I think that it's you know if if they if they find that they or if they can't compete and they haven't or they haven't got the energy to um, to keep on changing with the times and finding ways to move the model, then it is you know. It is fair or the right decision that they they do look for someone that can because ultimately um, fans don't go to watch games because they want to see you know they don't support teams because they have a strong balance sheet they want to see competitive yeah, football and you can't get left behind at the moment it's, no you no you left- can't and, and and that's why I've, I've said on numerous occasions does does argument uh, and the problem the problem I find is that when you put out an opinion on this people slot you into one side or the other. You know, yeah. and, and my whole thing on it is, look, I don't go to Anfield and think, um, I wonder will I see John Henry today? I don't care where John Henry is yeah. when I go to Anfield. I want to see my team playing football and winning. And, you know, don't get me wrong, sometimes you do have to look and go, what's going on with the owners? Like, now you do. You genuinely Absolutely, do. Yeah. And But but the way it is, like, and I've kept, I, I keep repeating it, there is arguments for any of these outcomes and there can be arguments for them not working and arguments for them working. Like, we could argue that, oh, no, a partial sale won't work. And you could say, well, I think it will. And, you know, you can see reasons and angles behind all of these. But like you said, at the moment, it's 
it's definitely somewhere Liverpool have to invest. How do you do that? Is open the open the air at the moment, and, and we'll have to wait and see. But I'd love to have you back in four to six weeks because if we'll anything does back. more, um, I, I'm making you air correspondent on this now. So <laughs> um, if anything does anything frames up um, with regards to offers or due diligence or whatever yeah. else, we would love to have you on. But Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, you've oh, taught really me an awful it. lot. Yeah. You've taught me an awful lot um, about the goings on um, around Liverpool at the moment. Um, and like I said, best of luck to Chester. Um, best of luck on the bottom line. We're flying actually. We're, we're fifteen unbeaten. So but there you uh, go, Chester. <laughs> everyone just go and watch Chester. For, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Don't be bothering with Liverpool. It's too much hassle. We've got, Chester, we've got some fantastic flying. midfielders. Yeah, Declan Weeks will sort that mid- Liverpool midfield. <laughs> no, no danger. But look, that has been an NFC Day Tripper special um, with Dave Pell, the business of football writer at the Echo, covers Liverpool and Everton, and um, we hope to have you back on soon. Thanks a million, Dave. Thanks very much, Kev. Podcast Network.